Welcome to Just Jiu-Jitsu. This is our first episode. It is the introduction episode. The purpose is to talk to um, the star of the show. Oh my God. The <laughs> the princess of the show, <laughs> Croyler Gracie. Well, that's a good start. Your Highness. That, that's a solid start. Uh, this, this, this whole podcast, <laughs> the reason is to talk about jujitsu in depth and um, talk about concepts, techniques, um, culture, history, and purely just focus on jujitsu. Now, MMA stuff like that will, will p- probably come into the picture, but only if it is tied in because of something jujitsu related. Right. Um, that is the hope of this. And then we'll probably talk and joke around about things, but that's what we want to do. And I thought the best way to do something like this is to have a guy like Croyler Gracie who knows a little bit about jujitsu. Not as much as he knows about ballroom dancing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you should see this guy on, on the shiny wood floors. Yeah, I, I can't dance. Oh, he, he just, he's have, like a... I have three left feet, man. Yeah, he's like a baby giraffe, just kind of... Pretty much. Just stumbling around. <laughs> it's pathetic, really. Yeah. Um, Zero grace. So this first episode, we're just going to find out who Croiler is. We're going to kind of pick his brain and just get a context of... Uh, one of the voices that you'll be hearing a lot in this series. So to start us off. Hold on, hold on. Does that mean that episode two will be an introduction about you? Because you haven't introduced yourself yet. I mean. That's true. I this other voice. <laughs> <laughs> I am Andrew Desimone. I am a prestigious four-stripe blue belt. Um, uh, I don't know if I had to introduce myself. Introduce myself. I think oh, most people true. just recognize my voice and go, yeah. "Oh, that's probably that right. guy from yeah, you're fame, Northern fame. Indiana." Yeah, fame case. Yeah, yeah. Right. who has right. like 50 Instagram followers. Perfect. I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's who I am. I've been training for three years, uh, three and a half years now. I started with Croiler. I walked into his gym three and a half years ago with basically zero experience other than some high school wrestling and was instantly hooked on it because I could see the bridge from wrestling to jujitsu. Um, but as soon as I started to cross that bridge, it kind of crumbled and I just fell into (laughs) the water and all the alligators ripped me apart limb from limb. But then after they ripped me apart, they said, Hey, will help mend you back to pieces and show you how to be an alligator also and eat the other people who try to cross that bridge. It sounds so violent when you put it that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is, but in the best ways. Um, so that's who I am. The next episode will not be about me because that was that was the... I mean, that was, that was more it? than was needed right there. Um, so, Croiler, you are Brazilian. I am Brazilian, born um, and raised. You are... That first name is that Dutch? Uh, it's it's uh, made up. It's made up. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> it's not even Brazilian. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. It is interesting. The Gracie names all are unique. Mm-hmm. They all uh, give, at least Americans, 
hell trying to pronounce them. <laughs> Brazilians too. They're not immune. Yeah. What? What? This is a weird place to start. But why? Why is there that difference in names with um, many? I, I'm not sure at what point it started. I don't know if Carlos Carlos Gracie started or if my grandfather Ilio Gracie started. Um, I don't know who started when, if they both came to the idea together, because both Elio and Carlos are pretty common names in Brazil. Um, but the idea is, so like, I was told that this had a lot to do with like numerology, you know, like mm-hmm. the idea of certain numbers have, you know, they're more powerful than other numbers, whatever that means. I, I don't study numerology, but... Um, I guess you can assign numbers to letters, you know, like A is one, B is two, and um, the the letters K, R, and S, I believe, um, are like the more unique, powerful numbers, so to speak. Um, and then the idea that if the name, the other the other side of the equation was uh, words of power. My grandfather's a very firm believer that anything you say has some weight to it, no matter how jokingly it is or how serious it is. So he, he never liked the idea of overusing words. Um, like if, if I say, hey, no, this is a table. Well, you've heard the word table a billion times in your life and it's really just a table, right? But if it's something you've never heard of before, it carries some weight. So then you add in, okay, so we have a combination of numbers to yield a certain total value right Mm. and then we want unique names because they have weight to them um and then he also believes that we should never we should be the creators of our own path and never live in the shadows of others so if you think of like if i say hey this guy's name is ben who do you think of right as american you probably think like benjamin franklin Mm. you know um so every other ben in the face of the earth is doomed right to be under the you know shadow of Benjamin Franklin. Right. So um, by creating the names in a unique way to create a high value or high power value, whatever, however the numerology side of things works with a unique name that's not been heard of before that has weight to it and nobody else can own that name, then all of a sudden you have a, you, you basically give the child a, a unique like life. Mm-hmm. Like where they can do whatever they want to be. They're not bound by anything. There's no expectations. Hmm. So next episode will be about numerology. And we, <laughs> we're going to have charts. I don't know anything about it, but we're going to have some charts. We're going to have calculators. And we're going to start thinking of the most powerful name. You'll probably know more about it by next week than I will. K's, R's, and S's. K's, so R's, like, and S's, yeah. But then like you have like like Neiman, Neiman Gracie, you know, or Deborah. Um, those are D's and N's, you know, but the combination or how it's spelled out. I mean, there, there's rules to it. I'm always afraid to ask the people that I know all the rules in case they're like, you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, I just wanted the rules. And like, <laughs> yeah, right. You're pregnant. <clears throat> that's a, that's a good point. So in the future, if you have children, do you have these, will you follow this guideline? And oh, yeah. do you have names set out? No, you, you can't. You, you can't, can't, you have, can't, you can't name the child before you see the child. So it just has to be improvised? No, you can see the child and then think about a name and then name the child. Mm. Like, you never heard of R10? Oh, my cousin's going to kill me. R10. R10. Yeah. So Horian, you know, my uncle Horian. Is this like R2-D2's no, brother? No. So Horian, Horian Grace, you know, the, the founder of the UFC back in the day, he, um, 
you know, he's got 10 kids and all his kids start with letter R and they're all unique names, you know, from simple as Rose to as complicated as like, like Hedon and Henner and so on. Well, his 10th child, he, he, you know, he had the kid and he did not have a name. He just phoned it in. So he had no name. So for like, like on his birth certificate, it was just blank for a while, for a period of time. I don't know if it was like eight to 10 weeks, but it was enough, sufficient enough time that we have a baby with no name and we need to name it. And jokingly, um, the members of the family started calling him R10 <laughs> until he settled into a, uh, into a, a name. Wow. I would embrace R10 because that is the, it sounds like a serial killer's name. Right? Like you don't have a name, <laughs> just a number. Just a number, a letter and a number. That's your designation, R10. Wow. <laughs> yeah, oh. no, and then eventually he came up with a name. So he's got a name now. I'm not going to say who it is because then I will get hate for it, but yeah. Sure. All right. Well, we just have to figure out who the youngest. The youngest of Oregon's kids. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that, so that covers the names. Um and that's all that's interesting about you. Thank you. Uh, next week, Bye. we will cover <laughs> numerology. Um, so let's hear a little bit about what little baby Croiler was like, where you came from, and your journey to America. Um, I was born in the northeast of Brazil in a, in a city named Fortaleza. Um, I was born there. Um, my dad and my mom met in Rio while my dad was training at my grandfather's school. And they, they hooked up, they got married, they got pregnant. I was born, then my mom took me and left. They, they had issues. Um, and, and that's when my mom took me basically back to my grandfather's house, back in the mountains of Rio, um, in, in Taipava, which is north of Teresopolis and so on. And um, that's pretty much where I was raised. So I was raised with my mom as a single mother and, and my grandfather who as the strong patriarch of the family. Um, and, and I stayed there. It's a rural area. Yes, yes, very rural. Just it's, in the mountains. Yeah, so there, there's a, there's Uplis is a pretty decent sized town, but the town that we were in was even further up the mountain. So yes, very small. I don't know, maybe, I'm taking a wild guess here. I haven't been there in ages, 10, 15,000 people. Is it yeah. an older city? Yes, yeah. I would even call it a village. It's not very big, okay. you know. Um, I don't know what the, real number difference between town and, and, and villages, but it's, it's pretty small. Um, so I was raised there, um, trained with my grandfather, you know, growing up, my uncle's cousins, etc. And, um, when I was 10 or 11, I was 11 years old. I think it was 11. I was 11 years old. My mom moved to California and I was then, you know, had no other option, but to live with my dad. So I moved to live with my dad and, and by the time I was 13 um, my dad got invited to teach seminars here in Indiana um, Michigan Illinois but mostly in Indiana very heavy concentration in Indiana how was it Indiana because that seems like a very odd place right right so actually that's kind of an interesting story we have we had this with three Americans that went to Brazil to train jiu-jitsu like they're grapplers they've heard about it but there was no training in the Midwest the cheapest flight was to Fortaleza, where my my dad lived, and they flew there. This just happens to be the first school that they walk into is my dad's school. Um, it was Alan, Pat, and Wally, and uh, these guys, full American, like basically the stereotypical American guys that we would 
picture in Brazil as Brazilians, you know, okay. uh, these guys walked in, they wanted to train, they were athletes, they trained really hard. Um, Was it just for, uh, in personal interest hobbies or yeah. were they yeah, military no, police? No, they were just, just to train. Okay. And then they trained for about a year. They stayed in Brazil for about a year. Um, Alan stayed a little bit longer, eventually got married and moved back. But, um, but they, those guys trained for a year. They lived with my dad for a while. Um, when they moved back, they opened a school. I think it was in Plymouth, Plymouth, Indiana. I think it was a school. It was called trapped. I don't know if you know if it's around anymore. Yeah. So <clears throat> they opened the school. And um, they wanted to do the seminar, bring my dad out to the seminar. So they flew him out. Um, this was right around the time that I was moving from living with my mom to my dad, right? So he was here in America. He did a few seminars. And at the time, the only people that were interested in jiu-jitsu seminars were like military personnel, law enforcement. So his, his seminars were mostly, you know, attended by police officers, uh, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, um, Army, Air Force, I mean, you name it. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was like the cool thing, you know, nobody knew about it. That um, was probably just fresh off the heels of, but would that would that have been late 90s or early 2000s? That have been like, like I think it was like right around 2000. Okay, so yeah. about five or six years after like the big UFC debut. Right, right, right. Okay, so. But again, in the Midwest, that still wasn't mainstream by any there was, means. There wasn't, yeah, there wasn't anything here, right? Right. So, um, did you come up with him on I that did. first visit? I did. Okay. Um, I didn't teach the seminar, so I was not part of it then. Um, I just came more to come visit America. What was your What were your feelings as a 11, 12 year old coming up that first? Was it just a trip, and then you came back, or where, did you come up? Yeah, and we, stay? we we landed in Florida, and then we flew into. Chicago, um, I believe it's O'Hare. I didn't know what the airport was at the time. And basically we came out of there and um, got picked up, did a couple seminars, a couple different places, um, even a couple of Taekwondo schools, and then got back in the airplane and flew home. It was what, short. What things stood out to you as a little kid coming to America for the first time? One, it was really fucking cold. Well, when like, did you come? What part of the year? I don't remember exactly what month, but it was cold enough that there was snow on the ground. Okay. Because I also remember that was the first time I saw snow. And it was exhilarating until I went outside and it was just really cold and I became very bitter. Did you probably didn't have a jacket? Oh no, that was like completely foreign to me. Like we like we I we didn't have anything. Like the the people that were hosting us, they actually lent us like sweatshirts and jackets and we we had no idea how cold it was <laughs> right. gonna be. And, uh, you know, when you watch the movies, you don't know how cold it gets. And I had no idea to me. It was just like, it's chilly, but it's not going to be that cold. Mm-hmm. No, it's cold enough that your face hurts. It's well, and good. you're thinking, yeah, I understand cold. And you're thinking of the cold relative what you're to what you're used the to. The coldest I've ever had in Brazil was when I was living with my grandfather in the mountains. And that was 65, <laughs> you know, like uh-huh. on a rough morning, maybe like 56, 57 degrees, like never, never this cold. So never to where I could see fog coming out of my mouth, like, like never that cold. And so we did the seminars, we came back to Brazil. And then I think like the next year, 9-11 happens, you know, they had this big ban, no flights and nobody comes in, nobody leaves. And basically America shut down for like a week period, right? Um, during that week period, we got a couple calls from people that attended our seminars. A lot of them were police officers. Um, 
and basically they they asked if we would be willing to when everything opened up again if we would be willing to come up and do a string of seminars you know kind of hit you know police stations and um other schools that might have an interest and and and, and do it and we said yeah we did a bunch of seminars all over indiana and we uh, we finished the tour essentially north of Plymouth because that's the place we knew. So we started at the bottom of Indiana, worked our way north, and once we once we got there, we you know got a house, rented a place, you know applied for for everything we're supposed to apply, and 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 started from there. That had to have been tough for both you and your dad to come, and the first thing you do. Our seminars for people, and your dad probably spoke next to no English. Oh yeah. How is your English? You know, I went to private schools in Brazil, um, and and I was assigned. You you pick a language like in kindergarten, and that just you just stick with that language until you graduate like high school. You know, and I I picked English just by stroke of luck. I could have picked French or German. You know what I mean? Like it didn't matter, and. Um, so I could understand a whole lot more than I could speak. I could read, I could write really well by the time I got here, but I, I couldn't really speak it. And you don't have any confidence either, so that makes it so Absolutely much harder right. to speak I'm like this, try another language. Yeah, I'm like this 13, 14-year-old, like, you know, no 13, 14-year-old has a lot of confidence. Now you're in a foreign country where nobody knows you. you. You don't know if you can speak the language. You don't want to sound stupid, you know. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. So I just sat there and listened, you know, and, and my dad's English was far worse than mine and uh, I remember at one of the seminars he was talking about putting the hooks on you know and then for those of you listening if you don't know what hooks are it's it's a way to engage your feet and create some control and um, he's like yeah you just put the hookers on just put the hookers <laughs> right here and you know this is this is you know most of the, the attendees were military personnel <laughs> and, and and you know police officers and it wasn't until the host like walked up to him and said, "Hey, do you mean the hooks?" <laughs> you know, so because if you mean hookers, gonna have an issue, right? Pretty pretty much that was the implication of like this is not the people to talk you know <laughs> about that kind of stuff. So, um, so we, you know, we did the seminars. We got done. We we eventually rented a place out of uh, a taekwondo school. We rented some mat space and some mat time, and and we kind of grew from there. We you know took a little by little. Um, it was very challenging at first because jujitsu was still unknown at the time. You know, this was 16 years ago. You know what I mean? Like it, it that was just non-existing, non-existent around here. So, uh, we kind of built it up. We had wrestlers every once in a while. We had a, a bunch of Russians for a minute. Um, but nothing, nothing that was common to people. Mm. This area of the state you do wrestling is popular so you would yeah you'd get grapplers but that's that's about it when when you first came over you guys were closely linked or tied to like you said taekwondo schools just because that's where you're renting space from um did you have any exposure to that before you moved over here taekwondo yeah Uh, yeah but not american taekwondo Brazilian is there, mu- is there much of a difference? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't hate, mean to hate on anybody, but like in Brazil, people don't wear pads, you know? Oh, okay. They just, there's no shin guards, there's no head guards, there's no body guard. I mean, you just beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> and it was very foreign to us to even see like people wearing like essentially armor, you know, mm-hmm. to practice. And then, you know, you hell, even the nunchucks with padding on them. You know, in Brazil, you want to learn nunchucks, you're going to eat some, eat some, you know, get some licks in before you learn to, to, to use them, you know? Was there much 
crossover? Did the Taekwondo people have any interest in what you were doing? Some, some, some guys did. Um, not, not a lot. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the people that could see value in it were also, um, afraid to try it. You know, a lot of the guys that had interest in it were guys that have been doing Taekwondo for six, seven, eight years. And they're like, man, I can kick somebody's butt on my feet. But, you know, if I go to the ground, those guys will kill me. Right. And the the fear came not from that idea. They were aware of the, the gap or the weakness in their style. And they were afraid to try it because then it would make their fear, uh, you know, a reality. Like, mm. wow, there is a gap. And I spent, you know, six, seven years doing this. Now I have to start all over in this right. whole other world. Right, right. So we, we had some. Was um, Victor, who is, for people listening, a brown belt at our school, was he from the Taekwondo school? Yeah, he was from one of them. So okay. so essentially, so after we, we, we rented the space from Taekwondo school, we eventually got our own place. We had our own place since then. And um, one of our students was a Taekwondo black belt in the area. And he said, hey, do a seminar at my, my school. So we went to his school, we did the seminar, and then at the end, like people wanted to spar because they had no idea what sparring was like, right? So Victor was one of these guys who was at the seminar, and Victor tried so hard to do something to me. He tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and nothing. And he, you could just almost see like his like spirit break and he shrink <laughs> in a corner. And every time he'd come at harder and nothing would work. And like the next day he came into the school and he's like I want to I'm done with Taekwondo I want to do this and he he signed up at, at our place and see that's a beautiful thing about it you know you have a good person when you can see them break because of something that you're doing and then they see that and come back and right. they realize like instead of the 90% of people who turn away they they say okay I need I need to learn this right. now and they come back and they want to they want to I think that's the double-edged sword of jiu-jitsu it turns a lot of people away and it brings them in at that point where right. you nearly everyone comes in gets their ass kicked right and then they either stay or yeah. they leave yeah and, and i think that you know when people say like ass kicked like it makes it sound like jiu-jitsu guys are i mean you even mentioned like the crocodiles even, mm -hmm. you know what i'm like and it makes it sound like everybody that's there is just waiting for the fresh meat to come in and right. beat their ass and, and that's not the case no um you know what, what it really comes down to is you're completely, you know, uh, ignorant of what your body is capable of doing, how it can do things, how it can, you know, there's no, you have no, you have no idea how to, it's like, it's, it would be no different than if you've never seen an ocean in your life or have never swam in your life or the idea of even swimming in the water is foreign to you. Like that's mm -hmm. not something you do. And then somebody just chucks you head first into the ocean, you know what I mean? Like, and right. say, hey, go swim. And then there's Michael Phelps out there. Hell, not even Michael Phelps. Just take a high school swimmer, you know, and you're like, man, that guy can swim so much faster than me. You know, he can kick my ass every day. Well, no, you just have no idea what you're doing. Right. Yeah, it's not in it. When when I say ass kicking, you're right. I don't mean a physical beating. It It is, but not where someone's trying to bully you and hurt you it's so much of it is mental where right. you're trying all these things and you're pushing and you're thinking all right this might work i'll go harder i'll go faster and the harder and the faster you go the worse things turn out and so it's just a psychological game it's like a right. chinese finger trap where right. you're trying harder and harder <laughs> and you're just digging this hole deeper and deeper right and you just keep you know and, and like i said it's it take take anything that people aren't used to doing like backgammon chess you know uh 
hell, like even, even like, you, you know, if you go to an art museum, right. And you're going to an art show for me, I, I'm not that guy. So if I go to an art show, I'm like, Ooh, cool picture. And I would move on. You know what I mean? Like, but if you see somebody who's like, you know, an artist or somebody who spends time doing that, they can see so much more. So essentially when you're new, you don't see anything. You just think you do. And everybody else that's there, you know, sees everything. Right. So, um, yeah, it does turn people off though. It, it is, it is probably the toughest martial art to get into and stay because it crushes your soul but on a daily basis. The people who stay, you know, were able to cross that threshold right. and at least at some point had a desire to want to learn more. Absolutely. So it is nice, yeah. a nice training ground. Yeah. And then Victor has stuck with us. He's been with us for like, I think, I think we looked at it. I think it's like 12 and a half years now. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. So you, you came here, you started the, your own school. Um, mm-hmm. you, you were competing throughout your teen, teenage years, early twenties. Yep. yep. And a lot of those competitions, especially all the way up until I was 18, 18, 18. So the first five or six years I was here, um, the competition scene was very weak. You know, there was a lot of, I would see the same three, four or five guys every tournament, every other weekend. And it was just one of those things that, you know, basically we were paying to, to go train together, <laughs> you know? Well, when you were competing, let, let's say, I guess first, when did you get your, let's say like purple, brown, what ages? So my purple belt, I got when I was, I had just turned 18. Okay. So 18 purple, mm-hmm. there were probably not many. Would, would you always just get bumped up to... Well, they, I, or down, sometimes down, because okay. sometimes there weren't, there wasn't a, a brown belt or a black belt competing. I mean, it's not common even today, you know. Um, yeah, sometimes it was even down, sometimes it was up. You know, I competed blue, purple, brown. You know, got my black belt, competed a bunch as a black belt, and then, you know, I I decided life took different different turns, and I, I shifted my focus into teaching a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, as far as your teaching style the way that you run a gym um who uh, where where do you see the evolution of your style when you were younger has your game mentality changed much from where you are now absolutely i was an asshole okay (laughs) yeah no i'll I'll be the first person to admit like through well and through probably 18 almost 19 years old man like i would beat the shit out of you just because i could beat the shit out of you like there was no rhyme or reason there was no lesson being taught there was no quieting you down it was just because i could do it you know i was i was not the nicest guy um and and i learned a lot during that time as far as like being efficient and being tough and and making these things happen but i i I was not i was very lacking as an instructor at that time period and i lost a lot of students because of that um because i saw them more as i saw them as people that i had to prove that i was tough every role or, or they would lose faith in me. And the reality is, um, it wasn't until I met, uh, Marcio Stambowski, who, who is now my instructor. Um, it wasn't until I met him that I had a huge shift in my, in my philosophy and my, how am I going to teach and how I want to be as an instructor and how I want to be as a black belt or as a person on and off the mats, you know, the guy was a huge influence. Um, the first thing I noticed was, 
like in his school, like everybody's his friend. Like he walks up, he hugs everybody. He asks about their life. He wants, he, like, he really wants to know about their life and how they're doing and how, how things are going. You know, he, he cares for them. Like, so if one of his students like loses a job or, you know, something happens to them, he's there to, to, to help them. And in turn, his students were all very happy, very caring people. And, and the whole school was just a completely different vibe than anything I had experienced before, where it wasn't like, you know, let's kill or be killed. Or, or even there's other schools that, you know, they're kind of fall in the middle. They, they beat the shit out of each other, but they're together because, you know, like that, all, you that know, constant beating brings them together. Right, yeah. right. But that's not healthy either. Right. But, but those, that's the only thing I knew. And um, training with him and, and learning from him and spending time with him. I spent a lot of time with him over the, the last 12 years. Um, did, when did you first go train with him? Was that eight, 18? Yeah. Okay. Right, right when I turned 18. So right after I got my, my purple belt. And, and that's in Connecticut? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. He came down for, to the, he came, actually came down to the seminar. And then shortly after I got my, my brown belt, I was already training with him at that point. Got my brown belt from him, black, you know, and all my, my, my degrees from him as well. Um, yeah, but it, but it completely changed my mind because like when I came back, I was like, you know what? I don't need to beat the shit out of people to, to make them learn from me, right? Yeah. It became more, you know what? I'm going to invest in them because as an instructor, I only succeed if, if they get better. Well, and for a guy like him, who's a legend, um, Stan Bowski, who is one of the six black belts of from five, uh, five from holes, five from holes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, revolutionized the uh, what was it? The triangle, triangle, the guard, the guard game, the triangles, the the ankle locks at the time back in the day. You know, to have a guy like that, he could very easily be pompous and right. and just be very aware of how great he is, but couldn't be any nicer, warmer, humble guy. I would imagine that that was probably one of the first things that struck you when you met him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was super down to earth. He was super caring right away. You know, I, uh, he did the seminar at our school and then he left and I called him and, and I, I called him like, I think the second day after he was gone, I was like, Hey, you have blown my mind in the seminar. You know, uh, I was, I told him, I was like, it changed my perspective. And I said, uh, you know, I, I at the time I was trying to go to college. I, I ended up, did go to college, but, um, you know, I was broke. You know what I mean? Like you went to college, you got no money, you know? And, and I said, Hey, I have no money, but I, I want to train with you. You know, I was like, I have enough money to get me out there. I was like, I'll sleep on the mats. I'll clean the gym, you know, for costs if that's okay. And, and he's like, Hey man, he's like, I'm getting old. He's like, if you, if you, if you come by, he's like, and you, and you, you know, offer up your body for, for being the dummy in, in the, you know, my private classes in my group classes is like, you know, I'll, I'll let you stay at my house, you know, I'm like, yes, deal, you know, because, um, to this day, Marcio, when he's private classes, he still is the body. Like, so like if he's in a private class with you, he's still going to be your dummy. You know what I mean? Like, and this is a guy who doesn't even have to do that. You know, right. like he's a legend, you know? Um, so I, you know, I went there, I, I basically, that benefited me too, because then I, I got in on every private class, right? I got to roll with everybody all day, every day, directly under his supervision where he's looking and he's watching. Um, and, and, but the dude like took me in right away, picked me up at this airport, 
Like he walks into the airport. He's looking for me. He's yelling halfway across the terminal. He's like, my brother, come over here. <laughs> and like gives me this biggest hug and like gets me in the car. Is asking me all these things about my life. Like, cause we didn't know each other. You know, we were, we were essentially committed to spending six months together. You at least, you had a f- uh, family tie. Right. He's right, married right. to your cousin. To my cousin. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And Marcio's children are Neiman, mm-hmm. Gracie, and, and then Deborah. Deborah. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, I mean, but that was it. Like I, I met the dude when I was very, very young young but i you know we we didn't spend time together we didn't grow up together you know he, he's old enough to be my dad you know mm-hmm. so he took me in and treated me super well like gave me lots of advice both on the mats off the mats and um, put my life a little bit in perspective you know like who, who do i want to be as a black belt right there's stuff guys everywhere but they're not good teachers they're not good people they're not um great teachers or great people, you know, there's levels to it. And, and, um, I kind of came back home after the, the month, the six months of training and my whole focus shifted, right. You know, I'm going to teach differently. I'm going to, my approach was far more. And, and I, it's, it's something that I still believe today, you know, like, like my relationship with you as teacher, student, um, I fail every day. So like, if, if I see you tapping everybody and then we roll and you can't tap me, like I failed. It's not my win. It's like, ooh, I beat Andrew, this amazing blue belt with four stripes. Mm-hmm. No, like I lost because if I'm doing my job, you should be getting better at a faster rate than I did. You should be able to catch up to me mm-hmm. and then pass me, right? If I'm doing my job the right way and and you know, that, that whole mentality is something that I kind of, I, sh- I stick to and, and I still fail. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. You, you definitely picked up. It sounds like the good parts from him because yeah. the gym, I, I've talked to some of the guys who knew you when you were younger, just throughout the years. And it is funny because <laughs> they, they will say young Croiler was such a dick. He was he, on the mats. Right, he was right. horrible. He would, he would just make life miserable off the mats, he wasn't as bad of a person. Uh, <laughs> but but just like you said, right. you had this mentality on the mats of kill or be killed, it sounded right, like. Right, If I beat the shit out of you, then you and I both know that you have to learn from me. Right. Yeah. And and now, when I first came to the gym, the f- immediately I saw a difference in what I expected uh, because I had heard people describe it kind of like I did at the beginning of the podcast – swimming with sharks or alligators and getting your ass kicked. So I, I'm walking in there thinking, this is going to be a disaster. There are going to be guys in here who want to beat me up. And then I walk in and everyone is sitting on the mats and chatting and going over techniques for the week and talking about ways to modify it. People are rolling and they're laughing. And then within a couple of weeks, um, we have gym events where we're getting together for holidays right. and we are constantly, we're seeing movies where you're cons- like, like you said, with Marcio being concerned about people's jobs, you're asking questions about people's lives. You, right. you have a, it's not fake. You, you are invested because everyone right. becomes friends and yeah, it becomes my family. Yeah. You know and I mean? you spend so much time there that right. it, yeah, you have no choice but either love or hate the people. Right. And and if I'm gonna do this, you know, and and one, I want to have fun when I'm training. I want to have fun with the people that I'm training with, right? 
and and I spend more time with you assholes at the school than mm-hmm. I do with like my wife. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so like if yeah. if I walked into the gym and there's a bunch of like douchebags there, I'm not having fun. It's a waste of my time. You know, even if right. the training is awesome, it's a waste of my time. So yeah, I am invested in people. I want the people there to be happy. Like you said, I want it to be a family. I want it to be cohesive. I want everybody there to, nobody should have any problems with anybody in my school. And, and, and I think we've been very successful with that. Yeah. There are, there aren't any egos where you have butting of heads for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. So clearly Marcio had a big picture, um, effect on you. Did he, what, what ways did he change your on the mat? Like on the mat, like, like training, like jujitsu techniques wise. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think I mentioned in class last night, you know, um, when, when, um, when I first met him, I thought as a purple belt, I knew all of jujitsu. I was that, that guy, you know, because that's funny. Cause I, I'm just realizing <laughs> I know everything. All of jujitsu. Amazing. Yeah. 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 No, I thought I knew everything. And, and, you know, mostly because again, at the time I thought that if I could beat people, I knew more than them. Right. And, um, then, then Marcy blew my mind. He showed techniques I had never seen, concepts I had never thought of. I spent the six months with him. I came back with a completely different arsenal of techniques. But the biggest impact was Marcio is a guard game, guard guy, you know, very, very efficient bottom fighter. And um, I spent time with him and he told me, he's like, hey man, your bottom game is solid. Like you don't need any sort of help in the bottom. He's like, what you really need is help in the top. And he's like, let me show you some stuff. And, you know, people talk about how heavy I feel on top, or like how my neon belly is like super heavy and, and all these things. Nothing is heavier than Marcio trying to prove a point. <laughs> he, he got on top of me and it was the very first time in my life when I felt that kind of pressure and my thought wasn't to like, how can I get out of this? Or, you know, if I could just get out, I could like put it on him or I will find a, a way out. My only thought was I am dying. Oh my God. <laughs> What's happening to my internal organs? Right. Like nothing, nothing about this is safe. Like spider sense is like going off, like just run, <laughs> but you can't, Right. <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, basically he commented, he, he made, and made a note that at the end of the, the time I spent with him, that my jiu-jitsu was very relaxed, meaning it was very comfortable. I had patterns of attack that I was efficient with and that I was happy sticking to. And, and he basically said that the areas that I was most uncomfortable were areas where I should be very comfortable, like attacking and being on top and being heavy and applying attacks just as efficient uh, patterns of attack on top as I did on bottom. And and when I came back home, then, then, then I, div, you know, spent time doing that. Wow. Um, yeah. And what's his school? Just so it's Gracie sports. Um, Gracie sports. Yeah. In Norwalk, Norwalk, Bridgeport, Bridgeport. Okay. Yeah. It was Norwalk for a while. I think it's in Bridgeport now. Okay. And fantastic school. They have oh, yeah, great I mean, facility. They have what a juice. You've never juice, been there, right? Smoothies. I haven't been oh, there. Oh man. Yeah. No, it's, it's maybe, Mat space, maybe twice ours. I think we have oh. uh, just shy of like 2,000 square feet, I think, is ours. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think he's got a total mat area of maybe like 4,000, 4,500 square feet of mat area, which is a lot. And then he's got, I mean, a facility is beautiful. You can see the outside when you're training, which is always nice, especially if you spend the whole day at the school. And there's Juice Jitsu, which is like <laughs> his like juice bar, you okay. know, and... 
like it's awesome because the, f- the food there is super fresh and it's always like Gracie diet approved and you can go train you can literally walk 10 feet and get an acai bowl and go back to class afterwards wow. you know so it's yes it's an, it's an incredible facility um he's got classes literally every day all day they don't shut down they have i think they're up to like four or five black belt instructors i think they have three or four kids instructors and i think he's just looking just recently he's been looking for another another professor out there to go out there and and, and teach for him cool well if it's any reflection of him and i was i was lucky enough to train with him at our seminar when he mm-hmm. came to our school and then right. in mexico and if it's if the school's anything like him it I would highly recommend it because he's just a tremendous guy. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, anybody in the, in the East coast should go to Marcio at least once, if not forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe you said an instructor. What, what, what level does that instructor have to be? Could I, (laughs) should I give him a call? You could give him a call. You know, I actually thought of Claude, like Claude and Victor, you know, but but Victor's got a house. He'd never move. and, And, and Claude, I think is happy where he's at. So, yeah. Claude's a purple brown brown belt that our school just yeah, tested. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so to wrap up, you in your journey um, now, what do you what do you see your role as now and in the next ten years? You know, I I have I have become I've I've become I've, I've started to enjoy coaching and seeing my students progress and, and do well in competitions or achieve whatever goals they want. You know, if some people that want to lose weight or some people that just want to learn to protect themselves, others want to compete, others want to do it as a hobby, but they want to get good at this hobby. So it's to me, I've gotten a lot of pleasure out of seeing people come in to my school with a goal, whatever that goal is and achieve it. Right. So I, I've, I've, I've turned a corner now to where I just really enjoy teaching. Yeah. That's well, it shows you are, if, for someone who didn't take any classes on education nope. or teaching, yeah, you do a good job of making people feel comfortable, invested. And it's one thing I didn't mention in this episode is your um, insane dedication and time you put into <laughs> to jujitsu. It is so you work a full time job yep. as chemist. Yep, and. That's what from like four a.m. to well, I, I I'm supposed to be there at seven, but I usually come in around five five a.m. five a.m. overachiever yeah. <laughs> uh, f- uh, five a.m. to like three four in the afternoon. Yep, yep. And then you go directly to the gym. Yep. And you do privates from four to six. six. Mm-hmm. And then we have our classes, our white belt and color belt classes from uh, six o'clock to seven o'clock. And then you have some time afterwards to just live your life. Pretty much. Or six to eight, by the way. Not six to seven, six to eight. Not to... Six to to eight. Not to add to it, but... Yep. And so you go home, spend some time with family, and then I'm assuming as soon as your wife's head hits the pillow, you're on your phone or tablet looking at jujitsu stuff, because usually all of us will get texts and Instagram (laughs) messages with videos and articles. So... And your phone is chocked full. It's a 256 gigabyte drive. I'm guessing 254 of those gigs are all just jujitsu notes. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I have notes on everything from gripping to 
positional how to move and it, you have you have a book in there that someday you could definitely publish i've thought about it yeah well you, you can publish that along with your bigfoot erotica and other <laughs> other stuff that you're into but you're we not supposed to tell them about today. that <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be our other podcast yeah um so that that's that's a good intro to croiler um if after that you're not you're not impressed then don't listen he's that's that's it. That's all I have. That's all that he's was got. It. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry. We, we just gave it our all. So um, that's the end of this episode. Hopefully over the course of the, I don't know, the coming millennia, um, <laughs> these episodes will continue to educate and be a little bit of fun if we can manage to fit that in also. Hey guys, before I go, I just have a couple thank yous. First of all, thank you to all of you for listening. We appreciate it and are really excited to finally start this podcast. And we have a lot of interesting topics in store that we will be discussing. If you ever find yourself in Northern Indiana, stop by Croyler Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Meet us in person, roll with us. We always love to see the new faces in our gym. Also, thank you to Josh Mills for helping us out with technical questions. Check him out on his Twitch stream at Mills Kills. That's M-I-L-L-5, K-I-L-L-5. The artwork for the podcast was created by Dennis Anderson. Find him on Instagram at Parabolastar. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>